Hello, everyone, and welcome to our next episode of Mejita Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Altergat, the Chief Experience Officer at the CX Edge. Today, I'm very excited to have Rob Pollock with us. He's the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Superior Fabrication. Welcome, Rob. Thank you. Great to be here, Sherry. Yeah, it's been, I'm really excited about this conversation today. We get to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which of course our listeners know is in the marketing realm. Um, and you have a little bit of a different take on it and a long history and experience in it. So I'm excited to jump into that. However, I always like to start our Mahita Talks podcast, getting to know our guests a little bit better. So I was hoping you could give me just some a little bit of background information about superior fabrication for those who aren't familiar. And then if we could get into how you got started in the industry. Sure. Well, superior fabrication started in 1979. It's been a long running company. It originally started as a defense contractor, fabricating components for the M1 Abrams tank and, and other equipment. And we've really um, moved into a, a diverse set of markets under the auspices of three primary areas, which is lift mast assembly fabrications and design. These are the front ends ostensibly to a lift truck, uh, hydraulic frac fracking pumps, and heavy metal fabrication. And all these efforts are really uh, operating as an outsourced manufacturer uh, to, to industry OEMs. Awesome. So how did you get started in this space? I know people don't typically go to high school and college thinking I'm going to be in the material handling industry. So how did you stumble across it? Well, I, I stumbled into material handling, I guess, from um, from transportation in general. I started my career with, with a company that back then both manufactured and distributed. Yeah, we used to do that years ago. And that was in the automotive and trucking space. And um, throughout my career, I've touched probably everything on wheels in some way, shape or form from from aircraft and aerospace applications to to off and on road applications that are either heavy duty or commercial in nature. So I guess not realizing it when I thought everything was already covered, lift trucks appeared and uh, and that's been an interesting space. I'm, I'm really actually enjoying that particular market. Yeah, all roads somehow lead back to material handling in some way, shape, or form. Yep. Um, so let's get into the, the marketing discussion. Um, you know, I've been in this space for a long time, specifically in marketing. I know you've kind of worked at a number of different industries within this space and others in marketing and sales. And I think everybody has a little bit of a different opinion on where marketing really belongs in an organization. So I was wondering if you could give me your take on what you believe marketing's role should be within an organization. Well, I think marketing should shape the image of your organization. And um, today, I think that's more critical than ever uh, because there's a lot of niche and um, detail sometimes required to differentiate yourself and express yourself properly to the market. And it should give people the confidence to about your products and services to engage with you while identifying you easily. So I think marketing today is very onerous. Years ago, it was much more, I think it was more one dimensional and today it's not. Not just in terms of the media with social media and streaming, et cetera, but, but just in terms of strategy and everything that and it, it really comes under that umbrella. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think 20 years when I started, the big discussion from a budgeting perspective was how much money we were going to spend on yellow page ads. Right. (laughs) You know, and that was a big discussion. And that was still in my lifetime, which is amazing to think about sometimes. No, it's a great point. I remember the the Thomas Registry reviews. You know, you'd always do that. (laughs) And those are, I mean, big things. That was kind of a focus of a marketing plan at that time. Um, so staying on kind of the market strategy and talking about that kind of change, uh, we live in a world that changes almost every day. And with especially all the changes that have happened since COVID, you know, I think we're constantly evolving. But what would you say are some of the biggest market strategy changes that have happened within industrial sales over the last 10 years? I think from a strategic perspective, you know, when you're burdened with with coming up with that go-to-market strategy, which excites me. Any any opportunity path is always, I think, inspiring. But it's changed in the sense of how much time it takes to craft it, I think prominently, most prominently, and also um, what goes into creating that strategy. And and I'll be specific. It's it's, you know, if you come into an organization as the new head of marketing uh, and our marketing and sales. The old ask was, look, we want a general go-to-market in 90 days. And if you really process that, it's ridiculous. Okay, you, you can't come up with a competent market strategy in 90 days. You can come up with some takes on the business, the team, et cetera, but not, not an entire go-to-market strategy. And I always think of how that affects our employees because just imagine someone who's been there 15 years who thinks you know their business in 90 days. So, and think of a customer who's been with you 15 years who thinks you know their business in 90 days. So I've seen that fortunately stretch out. And I think a, most most boards and ownership groups I discuss with or consult with are looking at about a year to develop a go-to-market strategy. Um, so that's been a big change. I also think that strategies were crafted in a vacuum before, um, you know, in a lockdown room with maybe one or two individuals thinking it out, sweating it out. Now it's it's more collaborative and inclusive. I agree. And I think the customer is more involved in developing that strategy than they ever had before. And so I'm hoping to kind of use the rest of our time together to talk maybe more specifically about developing a customer-based marketing strategy. Um, So how would you first define what a customer-based marketing strategy looks like? Well, obviously, customer-based I couldn't agree more with your comments about involving the customer. It's essential. You have to get in their shoes and understand their needs. Um, and that may sound a bit basic, but really what motivates them um, and what challenges they're facing. Their pain points are what you really want to solve. Uh, so, so the voice of the customer, which is a bit of an abuse, VOC is a little bit abused in a marketing side today in terms of, of, a, of a phrase, but getting out there, speaking to customers, not just some survey that's sent in an email, but sitting down, preferably with managerial or senior management individuals, and really asking them what's driving their business. You know, what what do they think the challenges are gonna be this year or in the next five years? And and then sharing that too with your team. So the, so the customer piece is critical. Uh, and I think the good news for industrial-based businesses is, we tend to be more intimate with our customers in B2B and industrial than say a B2C company is. So that's to your advantage, you know, but that also means that 
you have to be comfortable maybe working with that salesperson, right? Or 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 a third party to to understand that. Um, so I think that that's invaluable. Third parties are invaluable if you have an independent rep group or a consulting group of some type. And then also looking internally. When you hear about a customer-based strategy, of course, everybody thinks of the customer's input, which they should. But it's not just the customer's input. It's your team's input. What is, what is you know, the average salesperson, the average operational person think of this plan? How are they going to react to it? And while you can't ask everyone, um, I think that input is critical from the senior leadership heads of those relative departments or maybe those rock star players we have within each department and weighing in and recording their input. Because I think there's three data points. There's the customer, your internal team, and then you're deep mining into the respective market. Mm -hmm. And I think you made such a, a good point that I think we know but fail to recognize is the relationships companies in the material handling space have with their customers. As you said, it's much more intimate than in a lot of other spaces, especially B2C. And I'm not sure that everybody takes advantage of that the way that they could, because there's so much information that's available in that way. So I think that's a really excellent point. What would you say are some of the most effective customer-based marketing strategies that you've seen? Well, I think, you know, kind of running from your prior question into this one, I'm going to say too that, look, I'd say a customer-based strategy and the customer marketing strategies that are most effective are identifying what they're not first rather than what they are. So in other words, they're not a template. You know, um, they're not a magic BB. Um, they're not just a value prop statement. It's one of my favorites. Um, but but rather, and they're not just singular, right? They're, they're always like, like for example, from the top, uh, th this one I'm sure salespeople will identify with. It's not just higher margin customers or <laughs> large OEMs, right? So, so I think it needs to be, you know, really the, this, 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 this uh, well-crafted um, strategy that, that you put together that has guidelines as to who you are and who you are not gonna be. And sometimes it's very hard to admit who you, you're not gonna be. And sometimes that can be very contentious within your organization. But you know, saying yes to everything is not a recipe for a good strategy. So that definition is really critical. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people struggle with that question of what they're not gonna be. Um, because I think we all at the core of it want to be able to serve our customers in every capacity that they need. But the reality is if, that's not our area of expertise. We're not gonna do a great job. We're gonna underserve the customer and neither party is gonna be successful in doing that. So I think that's a great point. You had mentioned previously kind of getting, you know, a number of people involved in really understanding the customer, getting the customer involved, getting the salesperson involved, getting maybe some of the vendors involved. Are there any specific tools or other resources that you use to really help identify and better understand your customers? Um, well, when you speak to a customer, it's not about professional visiting. I mean, you have to know exactly what you wanna ask. And I think that I, I tend to bucket those questions too, which, which are like market-based, product-based, you know, um, competitively based. So like, mm -hmm. what could we do different, you know, than someone else? What What is in their market that are the dynamics associated? What new products are they most proud of? Or what is their core? 
Um, th those are tools that help me on the customer side. And then, and then internally, you know, I love to have, you know, a real powwow. I mean, a real meeting with fun and food and, and talk and brainstorm these things out. You, you have to inspire your internal team to participate and let them know it's okay to blurt things out and, and you know, make it a real group think event. And mm -hmm. so, so I, those are some of the tools. And I mean, if people are looking for guidance, Recently, I read um, Grassroots Strategy, which is a book by Jeff Bennett. I think it's very in touch with uh, developing a customer-based strategy, uh, more ground up and side-to-side and -side strategy. You almost find yourself presenting it to ownership rather mm -hmm. than accepting it from ownership. So it's, it's, you know, that was a very, it's a very good template, I think. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that one. I'll have to check it out. Um, what are you seeing today as some of your customers' biggest challenges? Well, without a doubt, you know, lead times and price escalations, no surprise there. Um, but they're great opportunities. Uh, if you if you if you process that, right? What are customer again, just about thinking like the customer. And again, and this isn't just Rob's taste, what my customers are telling me, which is we want a more resourceful vendor or a more resourceful partner. Um, you know, we need that. We need proactivity, you know, and um, uh, we need we need that expertise. So so and and I think it's a great opportunity to become more transparent. For example, price talks right now couldn't be more trans. I've never seen such transparent price conversations as we have. Right. Now. I don't think I'd see them in my career. Right. As I near the end of mine. So so, um, you know, take advantage of that. Because if you're transparent with your customers and, and you're doing the working on those other topics uh, relative to these market dynamics, you can turn uh, what is a very uh, difficult and challenging environment into one that's very rewarding. Yeah, and I think that's a great example. You know, I think when we do the research and we do all the right things, we find out what their challenges are, but then it comes down to doing something with that information and i think that's where a lot of people fall short is they understand that these are challenges but they don't necessarily do anything with that information in terms of the strategic perspective to help customers overcome those challenges so that that was a great example could you give me a little bit more of how you take some of those problems and really turn it into a strategic advantage when selling to customers well, for example, um, we're doing more uh, gallery-related. I call it pulling. I call it pulling it back the curtain. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz, you know. No one wants to see the man behind the curtain. Um, when you manufacture for others, I don't feel we are very transparent about showing what's actually going on on the shop floor, etc. So we've been doing more in terms of uh, expressing that through gallery, you know, photographic uh, communication. And, and also systemic communication um, that's engineer to engineer as well as commercial to commercial, meaning that we're having less siloed meetings between like our engineering department and another company's engineering department and more collaborative meetings where there's always somebody commercially present at an engineering meeting on both sides. And I, and I set that expectation with the customer as well. And, and again, because of this market, they're, they're actually eager to participate right. used to drag it there right not anymore now they're like oh i'll, I'll get sherry there don't worry don't worry Rob. you know right. and, and so take advantage of it so those so those are positives because if you if you understand better what's before you mutually 
then the success, you know, a successful outcome is that much more probable, right? So yeah. then you're ensuring the customer's deliverables and you're exceeding their expectations. Hence, you develop a long-term partner. So I think in this market, there's a great opportunity for long-term partnering versus quick drive-by one-offs or, or, or customers that the all sales teams can take advantage of at times really are not a, a confident strategy. I cannot agree more. Well, Rob, you have actually made it to the lightning round section of Mahita Talks. I'm not sure if you're familiar with our lightning round section, but essentially uh, we like to get to know our guests a little bit better. We're a community that are all there to support each other. And the more we know about each other, the better off we are together. So I have 10 questions here. I've tried to make these questions as easy to answer and as appropriate as possible. So are you ready to enter into the lightning round? I feel like I'm in a jeopardy. Yeah, absolutely. I hope every, I hope all the points except are worth you should, <laughs> Except you should know all the answers to these. Um, all right. I like to start off easy. Um, we're entering fall, one of my favorite times of year. What is your favorite fall activity? Um, I get I love I love to cycle. So I like to get my last bike rides of the years in in this beautiful weather and maybe take advantage of some of the, uh, you know, color changes, et cetera, especially living where I do, so. Yeah, it's so beautiful. You're in Michigan, correct? Yeah, we're, we're up in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, what's one subject you would like to learn more about? Um, I guess I, I can't stop learning enough about uh, financial operations. Um, you know, I've run run PLs and and components of PLs, of course, but to to just really have an education there, my education continues in that area. Uh, I think the other is is um, manufacturability, just understanding how things are manufactured, getting in the minds of manufacturing engineers. I think that's invaluable today too, because I think both those, for my role, um, just make me better at what I do because you engage in things that are fruitful. Uh, rather than things that are maybe higher in risk. Be careful with getting too far into the minds of other people, though. That's a dangerous, slippery slope. <laughs> um, what is one thing you regret spending money on? One thing I regret spending money on? Um, lead generation uh, uh, callers and people. I, I, I mean, I think great teams do it on their own. I, I mean, I really do. I'm not saying that a data mining service or something that gives you, you know, market company details and maybe context isn't worth it. I, I'm not suggesting that, but having someone else canvas for you, I've never been a fan of. That's always been a, a bit of a, a money hole, you know, to me. It's kind of like a boat, you know, it's a big hole in the water you throw money into. It's it's never really come back to be measurably rewarded. Are you more of an introvert or extrovert? Oh, come on. You know, a total extrovert, you know, <laughs> not total. It's not like I'm going to stand up and do karaoke, but <laughs> I love talking to people, learning about them needs and uh, sharing, you know, anything inspirational with them and hopefully in return getting something similar back. I think that's what it's all about. What is the best advice <clears throat> you've ever received? The best advice I ever received was probably from my father, who was also a sales executive. And when I was young and struggling and made all the mistakes as a salesperson, um, and kind of got chewed up and spit out by the market in my 20s. 
I asked my dad, I, I can't do this. And he said, I'll give you a secret, kid. I'll give you a secret. And he kept the secret over me for weeks and I couldn't wait. And finally, when he told me, he said, uh, the secret is get excited about something. And I, I wanted to strangle him. I'm like, really? That's the secret, Pop? That's it? And he said, well, you know, the other day I was coming home and my neighbor who never speaks to us flagged me down in the driveway to tell me he bought a treadmill and how this treadmill was doing amazing things for his health and everything else. And this guy's such an introvert, Rob. He made me immediately go look at treadmills. So if you get excited about something, you inspire other people. So find something that's inspiring to you and then share it with others because in turn, they'll be inspired and it allows them to shine too. And that comes back in a lot of different ways. And it was actually tremendous advice. That is great advice. What is your go-to snack? My go-to snack? Um, wow. I guess, I guess chips. My, if I have a weakness, it's not sweets, it's salt. It's just, it's that, that really great potato chip. Amen. (laughs) When are you most productive? When I'm most challenged. I'm the least productive when, when I'm, I'm challenged less or a bit bored for lack of a better term. (laughs) What advice would you give your young self? Not that you're not young now, but your younger self, I should say. Um, don't be scared to take risks. It took me a long time to leave a very good job as a general manager, a market general manager, um, and, a, and a business I knew inside and out and with a team that was the best arguably in the company. And I was so glad I did when I finally did it, but it took me far too long to make that that leap. So have courage. I think with today's young people, that's easy for them, but it wasn't for my generation. <laughs> What's something that you do not like doing? Um, blowing snow off my driveway, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, my world is really a chore. You always have to go out more than once. You cut the lawn, you're done for days, right? Or a week, but not when you blow snow. I know. I think you only got a few more weeks. And then it might start coming. <laughs> um, and finally, do you prefer Godfather or Star Wars? Oh, Godfather. Okay. <laughs> well, Rob, you have made it through our lightning round, through Mahita Talks. It was brutal. It was brutal. Do you have any parting <laughs> words you would like to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, I, I would say this. Look, you've never been in a position to get price concessions from your customers more easily than now. Everything is going up. Don't be shy about asking for a price increase or or asking for a price for the value you provide because this is the time to take advantage of that i totally agree well thank you so much rob for being a part of mahita talks we really appreciate you giving your time and your expertise to us in the mahita community i've been your host sherry altergott for mahita talks we'll see you guys next time thanks again